Welcome to the Winter Palace. I'm your host, Mark Cole, editor and publisher of Odessa Steps Magazine. Today on the show is writer Al Ewing. We're going to discuss his current and past work at Marvel, including Royals, U.S. Avengers, Ultimates, Contests of Champions, and more. We also chat about Doctor Who, the new season, his writing, the 11th Doctor comics, and the Doctor Who pastiche Doctor What that he and Brandon McCarthy did in 2000 AD. There is also a long and winding chat about British television versus American television, including World of Sport, Whose Line Is It Anyway, The Great British Bake Off, QI, and a lot more. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Winter Palace. We are very happy to be joined by our next guest today. He has been writing some of the most entertaining books at Marvel over the last few years and has just begun recently chronicling the adventures of the Inhuman Royal Family in Royals. To talk about that, some of his other Marvel work and his other projects, I am happy to welcome to the show Al Ewing. How's it going, Al? Hello, I'm not too bad. Uh, thank you for the, the kind words there. Um, yeah, pretty pretty good. Um, I've just come off a, a bit of a bout of food poisoning. If you if you called me a week ago, I'd have been in a very different place. But I, yeah, I'm I'm pretty much better now. Yeah, I know the feeling. I had that happen to me a month or two ago, and it was the kind of thing where I was fine at lunchtime. I went out to dinner. I started feeling queasy. Um, puked in the restaurant where I was eating dinner, Ooh, came yeah, home, and then, like, yeah, I was, like, I was, like, throwing up, like, every 45 minutes from, like, 4 in the <laughs> afternoon until, like, 3 in the morning, and I couldn't even keep water down, but, oh, the ne- yeah, the ne- yeah, the next day I was fine, so it was just something weird. Well, yeah, mine, mine wasn't as bad, but it went on longer, um, and, I mean, with this stuff, you never know what caused it, because it could be, it could be something, I don't, you know, it could be something you ate yesterday. Could be like the day before, even. Um, but I think in my case, it was Brazil nuts, and you want to avoid eating too many Brazil nuts because they're basically full of like radioactive metal or something ridiculous. If you look up, if you look up Brazil nuts online, they're all these insane horror stories. But yeah, I ate too many Brazil nuts, and uh, and yeah, you know, I didn't realize that was a thing, but it turns out it is, and it laid me out for about a week. Oh, that's which is bizarre. I'm glad you're. I'm glad you're on the men. So a tip for your listeners there: uh, watch watch out for Brazil nuts. There you go. Today's today's it's like lesson, one a day. Yeah, today's lesson learned. Um, we had been talking about doing the pod for a little while, and in between uh, us talking about it, and now you've got a brand new book. Uh, that yeah, the, the, yeah, the second issue just came out. Um, it's Royals. Um, following up on sort of the Inhumans versus X stuff, this is sort of their new their new paradigm. Um, they've been they've been sent in the space, I yeah, guess yeah. In, I, in, I sent them in space. Yeah, um and, and I know uh I don't know, I guess it was what, ten years ago maybe when they were part of the sort of the Marvel's cosmic line and now and now they're back into space. So why don't you tell us 
why they're in space and what's going to happen to them or well, what their I'm, mission is. I guess, I guess from my point of view, the reason, the reason I wanted to, to send them into space was because, to be honest, I thought it was about time for an inhuman space story again. In the, they're, they're, I think out of all of the kind of Marvel-like superhero-style people, they're probably the most connected to, like, pure sci-fi, the Inhumans. They're kind of... They're, like, not... They don't really fit in the superhero bracket. They're sort of, like... Um, you know, they're very weird. They've only they've only gotten weirder since Jack Kirby invented them, I think. Pretty much every writer. And I, I include I include Charles Soule in this. He did, he did an amazing job, like, making them really strange. I mean, um, the reader is one of the great weird superheroes, and you know, it's I think it's gonna. And you know, even even someone like Ms. Marvel, who's like um, obviously one of the closest things to like a more normal superhero. She's she's almost like the Spider-Man of the Inhumans, um, and you know, part of part of her massive appeal is that she. You know, she's somebody kids can can relate to, and like readers can relate to. Um, but even her, her powers—the way she like grows—and she's not like growing with everything in proportion, like Giant Man. She's sort of growing with like you know, one arm gets massive, and you know, her feet and hands get really big, and like her arms are kind of spindly and long, like this fantastic. And it, it it looks great; it's a great visual, but it's weird. And um, and I really like that. I really like that humans are weird and strange and like and odd and and science fictional. And I don't know. I felt like they'd, they'd been they'd been doing a lot of stuff on Earth and they'd really sort of established themselves, you know, on Earth. Um, and I was thinking, yeah, let's give them let's give them a kind of epic epic space adventure. And the other the other kind of nice thing. Um, about that is that we've got we've got three Inhumans book plus I think just announced um, Priest and Phil Noto are doing a kind of um, sort of back in time. I, if I call it a back in time story, people are going to think it involves time travel. It's sort of like a I don't want to say prequel, but like one of those, you know, one of those stories set in the past. Like an un- um, like an untold tales kind of thing. Yeah, untold untold tale. That'll be a good. That's a good way of doing it. Um, so that's going to be fantastic. But then you've got three Inhumans books set in the present day, and they're all kind of going in different directions. They're sort of like spark off each other and spin off each other. But I feel like for the first, I mean, I can't really speak for like Saladin or Matt, but um, I know I'm I'm going to be in space for a while. Um, I, you know, I think for the first year we're going to be out there. So, you know, we're going to be kind of divorced from the other books doing our own thing. And I, I think that's good. I'm really looking forward to when we kind of, we, we each get to tell our own stories and then we loop around and we get together again and we find out, you know, what we've all been doing and how we all impact each other. And I think when that, when that time comes, you know, in like, in however long when we all kind of circle back around to each other again it'll be great because we'll all be coming coming from such different places and we can just start coming up with some amazing like full on inhuman story and you know I don't, I don't know I've not even um, I've not even I mean you know I see 
I see Matt fairly often. I sort of know, sold it on Twitter, but um, I was not actually had a conversation with these guys yet about like where we're all going because it's like uh, I think it's more important that we all go on our own journeys with our own books, and you know, think a bit less about the crossover factor and a bit more about the stories we want to tell. Um, and you know, and I guess I guess you kind of you want to know like in universe why they're doing it because I've been talking a lot of like you know the outer universe stuff the sort of inside baseball of it all well I I was going to say uh, like you you sit you sit the the royal family and some of the other inhumans out but they're also with with Novar who is a oh, very yeah, yeah. who is a very sort of wild card kind of character well, you know like if people are familiar well, with him like when when Kieran and and Jamie used him, you know. He was yeah. Oh well, I, I, I you know, I love, I love Kieran and Jamie. I've, um, I've known him for years, um, since before they were, um, before they were famous, um, when they were just starting out doing like British small press stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I, I was a huge fan of the Young Avengers. I was a, a big fan of Marvel, but it's a big fan of Grant Morrison's Marvel Boy. Um, I guess, I mean, how he got, how he came to be in the Royals was, um, believe it or not, it wasn't actually my idea. Um, I was sitting down with Will talking about the book and like, you know, we'd sort of, we were at a convention, we'd sort of given ourselves like a bit of time to kind of go off and talk business for a bit. Um, a little kind of mini editorial conference off in a corner somewhere. And we were talking things over, and I think I was saying something like how I wanted one character in the book who wasn't an inhuman, just to kind of like, I'm not even sure why, it was just a gut feeling thing, um, but probably probably for like an outsider's perspective, and a kind of, be interesting to sort of, I don't know, I remember when like, I probably shouldn't bring up the X-Men because of that whole thing. But um, I remember when the X-Men would go off in space and they'd be, like, accompanied by somebody like Super Doctor Astronaut Peter Corbeau, just like this human guy in space. And it'd be like, he'd be, like, the kind of, the outside viewpoint. And anyway, we were talking about this, and Will, Will Moss said, um, why not Nova, why not Marvel Boy? And I was like, that's a brilliant idea. Just immediately, it was just like, yes. And immediately we started spinning all this stuff out of it. And I think what it's turned out as is that he's kind of he's 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 not so much the outside viewpoint anymore. He's sort of almost an insider viewpoint. He's almost like offering this this cosmic perspective on things. Like um, when when in issue two, when like Medusa's, says, you know, I mean, how much how much do listeners want me to spoil? Um, um, in issue could, two, I would say you could say say whatever you whatever you feel like saying is fine with me. Yeah. In, in issue two, um, he, you know, something's going on in issue two, and he, he offers an explanation that isn't isn't so much scientific as is almost the kind of philosophical, magical explanation, which is kind of in line with um, the sort of Grant Morrison portrayal, where, like, you know, everything's powered by belief and, like, huge high concept stuff I wanted to kind of bring some of that back I wanted to bring back some of the Morrison like um, these Morrison touches because uh, I thought 
it's it's interesting. He's been on an interesting journey because he sort of he started with all the Morrison stuff and then he went into kind of trying to sort of fit him into this sort of quote unquote proper superhero thing, which is like you know to really get him to kind of take that Captain Marvel spot. And it's like yeah, but he's not he's not Captain. He's not really even Kree. It's not anything to do with like the Kree of our universe. He's kind of like. Um, I mean, he, he, where he's got that connection with Captain Marvel is when Captain Marvel was like meeting giant space heads and shouting things like, I know the meaning of truth and like, uh, basically tripping out everywhere and like, you know, going on these massive Jim Stalin head quests. You know, he's not connected to Captain Marvel in the sense of like, you know, I have, it's my duty to carry the symbol forward. He's connected because he's like a weird cosmic kind of philosophy warrior. And, and then, you know, and then Kieran and Jamie took him and kind of gave him this great heart and this great kind of love story, this doomed love story, which, you know, only adds to him and also plugs him into Earth pop culture, which he, you know, badly needed, I think. Well, it's, it's been kind of a, there have been kind of attempts to do that before, but I think Karen and Jen really nailed it. Well, I was going to say, it's, it's funny that you brought up sort of the Starlin Cosmic stuff, because that was something I was going to get to later, because to me, that's what your Ultimates book feels like. It, yeah. fe- it feels like sort of a sort of new a new version of like very trippy and heady kind of that cosmic stuff. That is... That's kind of the niche I'm going for. It's, it, it strikes me that not many people are doing that. I mean, every so often you see somebody have a go, but it's like not not many people are sort of doing that. And it's, um, yeah, that's kind of, that's a big niche for me. That's sort of something I, I like to have at least one book on the go that's doing that stuff. Because, um, you know, I don't, I don't want to be all sort of, straight on super adventure and like uh you know laughs and drama and uh which you know the u.s avengers stuff essentially the kind of new avengers stuff which is like a, a straight down the line thrills and spills super about with like you know all the all the great old characters and, and having a lot of fun you know i i really enjoy doing that but i also really enjoy going into the kind of the stalin cosmic stuff the sort of examining just you know plugging a load of philosophical thoughts and ideas into it and sort of and you know where where my head's at on a particular day and kind of yeah you know seeing seeing what falls out um but yeah that that's yeah there's a there's a kind of it's a, it's a, a little bit i guess because um one thing I don't want to do with Ultimates is step on... Because Jim Storm's still writing comics for Marvel, and he's still kind of doing a lot of stuff in the cosmic arena, and I don't want to step on those toes at all. Um, so it's kind of like trying not to like step too hard on on that, while at the same time... And trying not to invalidate what went before, while at the same time you know offering these new these new viewpoints and these new sort of ideas about stuff. 
Um, right. And I think I think with what's coming up, I think next week, as we're talking on Wednesday, um, Ultimate Six is coming out, which has a kind of new expansion of like the origins of everything, kind of based on a lot of stuff that's been in comics before. People are going to kind of read that and then go back and see how other stuff has informed that. So, I mean, I'm not, it's, it's not a retcon. It's kind of an addition to stuff and sort of recasting it. Um, but it'll all, you know, uh, it'll all make sense. It's all good. Cool. Yeah. The, that's all sort of one of the reasons that I wanted to have you on the show is that I thought it was great that you have somebody who's writing two very entertaining books in ultimates and, uh, Avengers, or US, now it's U.S. Avengers, but they're so they're so very different. Like, you know, one is sort of Starlin Trippy is how I was going to describe it, and the other one is sort of very. I I don't know if I would I would have said like straight, but I mean it's I think it's I think that book and the one and the the Mighty Avengers stuff that preceded it have been sort of very sort of. Tongue in, tongue in cheek, but not disrespectfully, but, but fu- like fun, like old, like the fun of reading an old school sort of Silver Age comic book again. That well, I just thought, I just thought it was great that you have like one person writing these two divergent books, yet you're both really great reads. And so, like, I I would... yeah, I mean, I, I don't know, I kind of have this reaction against like. Because I think while I was sort of growing up with superhero comics, this was in the 80s and the 90s. Uh, I guess with the 90s, I sort of migrated into, you know, hate, eight ball, love and rockets um, and the Vertigo stuff. So it was, you know, I was sort of growing up wanting to read, still wanting to read comics, but wanting to read more kind of. But at the same time, you know, while I was reading all that, I was also following the Superman soap opera, you know, as a soap opera, which is what it was. But, um, yeah, so, you know, I was getting, I was getting a lot of different, different comics, but there's, I don't know. I've never been a big fan of this idea that uh, superhero comics, I think comics as a medium should be taken seriously as an art form. I think if you kind of get very like defensive, about the seriousness of superhero comics. Um, I think you're onto a bit of a loser there. But at the same time, it's a bit of a tightrope walk because you, you don't want to get defensive about it and like, oh, no, even an android can cry. They're real literature. Um, because, you know, they're like, you know, they're not, not literature, but they're not, you know, it's not like this issue of Silver Surfer where he gives a giant speech written by Stan Lee is like, as literary as a hundred Shakespeare's, you know, give it to your teacher and like show him the new face of Homeric myth. Um, it's, you know, I, 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 I take that with a pinch of salt, but at the same time, you can get a little too like, uh, Oh, nothing matters. Everything's a laugh. Uh, <laughs> D man. What a, you know, what an asshole. Um, and it's, it's like, it's it's finding that kind of tightrope balance between like getting very po faced with it and at the same time getting so irreverent about it that like you're almost kind of being 
you're almost like bullying the characters. You're almost like, um, I, I guess that's why I like all the sort of D-listers and C-listers and like the, I mean, I hate that. I hate the whole idea of, you know, their A-list, D-list, whatever. I think that's terrible, but I, I like the old, all the kind of forgotten characters and like the, um, cause you know, they, yeah, I always, I always feel like every character has a really cool thing about them. And any, literally any character is like incredibly cool. You just need to like find the cool bit. Yeah, the the thing with that that I always point, I always say that you know, even sort of the most sort of quote unquote joke character, if written quote unquote correctly, you know, can can be interesting. The thing I always point to because I too am like a big fan of like the obscure, like, sort of Silver Age villain kind of thing. And I always point to people, and I say, you know, there's an issue of Captain America in the 60s where Pacepot Pete almost beat Captain America, and he would have if, like, Sharon Carter hadn't sort of shown up and thrown a monkey wrench in, and they win. It's like, you know, you can write Pacepot Pete as a credible villain if you I, want, or you, can make him, or you can make him silly. It's up, you know, it's I, up to you. All right, let's let's talk about Pacepot Pete briefly. I find him more credible than the Trapster. Um, the Trapster is like this kind of, I mean, oh, okay, yeah, a glue gun, a glue gun is great, you know, gluing people's stuff is it's a great power, you know, it's it's kind of one use. It's a bit like there's like two hundred ways out of it, like for any superhero, but it's a good visual, you know, it's a big thing. But Pacepot Pete. From what I remember, he was like dressed like this mad artist out of a guy. He had this giant beret. He had this amazing beard going on, and like his face was like this kind of weird leering demon face. I mean, am I thinking of the same guy when he first appeared when he fought the torch? Yes, he was like and this weird as, artist. As a matter of fact, um, I actually so... one of one of the one of the things that I get at conventions is I get Pacepot Pete sketches, but as Pacepot Pete. So I have a handful of them. Like I have, uh, let's see, I have a Ron Friends. I have Colleen did, Colleen Doran did one, and Phil Hester did one. It's funny because I always get Phil to do something when he does the the, 90, the Kirby thing every year. And one year I told him Pace Pot Pete, but he, I don't know if I, I said Pace Pot Pete or I said Trapster. So he did the Trapster, and I was like, Cool, I said, but I meant Pacepot Pete, but, you know, so so next year came around, yeah. and I was like, okay, Phil, Pacepot Pete, Pacepot Pete version of Pacepot Pete. And so it's this great sketch, and Ian, I'll have to, uh, I'll, I'll send you a picture later, I'll post it with yeah. the, the podcast when it comes up. But it's funny, because he, he's drawn him sort of regally, but with the big beret, and when I showed peop, when I showed it to people, Half of them knew it was Pacepot Pete, and half of them thought it was Kanto the Assassin because of the big yeah. hat. Oh, Kanto! Kanto's fantastic. Yeah. So, so yeah, so so I am certainly all on board with because We're... it's it's funny because it, I don't know I I have to think about the chronology, but it's, there's, it's that, one, there's that one, there's that there's that early issue. Yeah, yeah, there's there's the early issue of the Avengers when it's when they all joined the Frightful Four, and there's because I remember that it's like Trapster joins the Frightful Four and he starts calling himself Trapster, which, you know, great name. But his costume is kind of like 
pretty much like the wizards. It's you know it's got the helmet and like the purple thing. Um, and then, and Sandman, you know, he's he's still got his t-shirt on, but it's purple now. And then they give Sandman this insane costume, which is just mad, and it's got this like center parting. I, I don't know. It's it's like no mask before or since. It's got this this bit in the middle. So like his hair's kind of poking out on the sides. It's a very and it's like it's, covered it's, in yeah. It's very it's very Kirby. That it's, it's that it's cost, really that good. It's like I could I know I mean you know I um I almost hesitate. I kind of hesitate to like say that Kirby ever did anything wrong. That is close. I mean I I could you know spin it as like a hidden intention, but. Turning, turning the Sandman from like this really kind of, cause, you know, Deco's original Sandman was an incredibly good design. Um, and then, you know, coming out, okay, now, now the Sandman needs a superhero costume. Here it is. That's like, yeah. And then I think he got rid of that pretty quickly though. But oh, or did he? It might have taken years. So I'm but, just rambling at this point. Yeah, what I was going to say is there's a there's an Avengers story when the first one of the first times they fight the original Zemo and oh, the yeah. Masters of Evil, he has adhesive X, you know, which is the thing that made the mask that got stuck to his yeah. face. But he he like covers the city in it, and so it brings the city to a standstill. And how do the Avengers fix it? They go and they find Pastepot Pete in prison, and they're like. You know, like, we'll commute your sentence or something if you can figure out how to dissolve this adhesive X. And he's like, oh, sure, no problem. And he, like, invents the solution. But it's like, they were, you know, Captain America said, hey, you know, let's go talk to Pastepot P. He knows what he's doing. So, you know, it's... Yeah, yeah, he's one of those characters... my love sort of love of like the the Silver Age villain. It's like on the Marvel side, it's Pastepot Pete, and on the DC side, it's the Psycho Pirate. So when yeah. Tom King when Tom King brought him back in Batman recently, and with like the great cost, you know his his Silver Age costume, yeah. I was I was so happy I'm, be, because yeah, I'm, like, I'm very I, much enjoying those comics. Yeah, because I'm really I felt, enjoying King's Batman. Yeah, because. Because I fell in love with Psycho Pirate when, because I was in college when, when Morrison was writing Animal Man, and like my area of study was like sort of self-referentiality and meta text and, and stuff like that. So when he, so when Morrison started using the Psycho Pirate as this basically like conduit, almost like living conduit to old continuity. It was like it became like my favorite, like my favorite thing ever, and so I just love that he was like this walking, sort of like pre-crisis font of knowledge that like everybody else had, had forgotten about. You know, because there's that that great yeah. that great cover yeah. when they're in Arkham and he's like, literally like spewing out old '60s DC comics. It's just it's so great, and but yeah, like. I was that was one of the things I was I was going to ask about was like your love or in use of sort of the forgotten characters because yeah. I think because it seems like I think over the course of your various Avengers books like I think you've used the Plunderer like 
three or four different times depending on like where the story felt. You guys yeah, including was... I, including I like know, his I baby mean... his his baby face turn when during Axis when he suddenly oh, wanted yeah, to be a yeah, good guy was... and give give money to orphans. Yeah, I had to I had to like sneak him into the uh, into the kind of Axis zone to to get him access. Um, yeah, no, he's, um, he's fun. He's interesting because, um, I think when I first used him, this was way back in like the first issue of Mighty Avengers. I was really just casting about, I think it was originally going to be the Wrecking Crew. I was just casting about for like a villain to like start the book off with. So we had like, I don't, I don't know what's it, what's it called on Dan Harmon's like wheel of story. It's like the starting condition. It was like, you know, I wanted to, like, show the starting conditions, and that meant, you know, they need to, like, fight quite a basic villain. And I think I ended up digging up the Ponderer. But I don't think I'd actually, like, read many or any kind of Ponderer stories. It was all, like, from Wikipedias and sort of thing, stuff. Because nobody really touched him in years. Um, except I knew that his name was Parnival, which was amazing. And that his name was also the Ponderer. And it just, I just thought, yeah, okay, let's... And, so, yeah, I, I did kind of, like, rebuild them a bit from the ground up, which was, yeah, a bit naughty. But um, I, I don't know, I really, I I kind of really like him. Uh, I, you know, I'd, I'd like it if other people used the Plunderer, but, um, I, you know, I'd also like it if he just, you know, if I, if I end up moving on to, like, um mind books or whatever then and he goes away for 10 years and then you know some other writer brings him back and he's completely different again i think that'd be hilarious so you know um either way and speak yeah speaking of sort of old and obscure characters one thing that i really enjoy again because this is the kind of stuff that i like is the fact that you got to play with so many versions of characters when you did Contest of Champions. Oh, that was so much fun. Which, which, which it seems like, you know, like if you're a writer who has a knowledge of esoteric history, is just a field day to either make your own versions of characters or find an obscure character from, you know, like the mid-70s and go, hey, I can use this guy for what I need because you can use anybody you want in that book. And, yeah, some of I thought some of the... Some of the people that you used in that book were great. It was it was fun. We were trying to strike a balance um, between like trying to find a way to sort of use like the big, um, you know, the big the big people, and also cram in as many of these kind of uh, smaller and sort of out of the way uh, heroes as we could. And I mean, one of, one of the things it ended up being was a kind of stealth homage to like, um, the What If books. And that we figured out pretty early on that a way to kind of have big scale, you know, superheroes in there, the kind of, the, you know, the big kind of quote unquote important people that people want to read about is to have like alternate versions of them. And then you've got all the fun of like, oh, well, on this world, you know, um, Tony Stott was the Hulk, or like, uh, I mean, you know, bring, bring back things like the Rick Jones Hulk, um, 
I think Bullseye, Bullseye Electra. That was that was a fun one to come up with. We I don't know how much we got into this, but we had this whole like alternate Frank Miller chronology set up for her, where like um, she kind of killed Bullseye and took all this stuff. Um, oh, there was that was that was a lot of fun. Uh, I was uh, yeah, I was sorry, I was sorry when that went away, but. Um, yeah, that's kind of. We're actually bringing, we're actually bringing that back. The um, some of the kind of Euro champions from. Uh, yeah, we didn't we didn't know there was going to be a champions book um, at this stage. It was like there was a kind of thing of like, I had this kind of thing of like, oh, can I call them the champions? They were like, no, and I assume that was like some kind of rights thing. But, uh, um, but yeah, the kind of the contestants. Uh, Outlaw and Guillotine and Ares. Um, uh, missing, missing. I think White Fox is either busy elsewhere or has her own stuff going on. And um, Stick, I kind of Stick's a little too tight to Daredevil. I want to sort of leave him be. Uh, you know, let. I think um, I think Charles should be the one to decide if he's actually back or like you know or not back. Um, but the other three, uh, I'm bringing them back in US Avengers, and that's going to be part of the the big old secret empire tie that we do. Cool. Yeah, uh, it's it's funny. I noticed when I was rereading all this stuff this week that there's a line in, I think, like one of the first issues of Mighty Avengers, when the team's coming together and Superior, when the Superior uh, Doc Ock Spidey says, you know why don't we just call ourselves the champions and get, get on with it or something like that. And it's funny now reading it like two years later, I'm like, well, champions are back again. You know, the yeah, name, it, the name never goes away. It's a completely different line now. I mean, um, it just reads completely differently because now like not only are the champions back, the champions are like awesome. I mean, they're kind of in universe. They're awesome. And they're like this kind of, um, you know, that's, that's not just, just me saying that as somebody who like, is enjoying the book. That's like in the universe, they're this like huge brand and like, you know, this massive team sensation. Whereas when I wrote that line, it was like Iceman and Angel, you know, they're, they're weird side projects in, in California. It was like, um, this sort of, and it was almost like this kind of, yeah, that's, that's probably as close as I've come to doing a kind of, um, a joke that's based on, uh, something being quote unquote like lame or whatever, what have you. Um, although I guess I, I don't know, I guess I'd already written a story where the champions were remembered as being awesome, so that's all right. I've the, paid my dues. The other thing about uh, Contest of Champions, and I remember this sort of being like a story at the time, and I don't know if it ever went anywhere, but there was a thing about because, uh, I play Marvel Puzzle Quest, and you know oh, one yeah. of the, and one of the things in Marvel Puzzle Quest is is ISO eight, and there I remember there was there was like a story at the time that, especially like the books you were writing, sort of like all featured ISO eight, and then like it was going to be explained how ISO what ISO eight was in the Marvel universe. Do I do yeah. I have that right? And did that like did that ever happen? Um, or no, not we ended up we ended up doing it. Um... 
No, yeah, I remember I was like really, um, yeah, I was, and it was because of Contest of Champions, because obviously, you know, I saw it being the, the MacGuffinian in all the, uh, all the Marvel games. It's like since Avengers Alliance, I think. It's like this kind of, uh, magic stuff that you collect and bump up your stats with or whatever. I don't know how it works in Puzzle Quest. I've not really played much of that, but it's um, yeah, it's basically it's, uh, yeah, it's what it's what you get like when you win fights and then you use it to level up people and that kind of stuff. Yeah, so yeah, so it's it's, it, it's, it's that. pretty much the same across the board. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I uh, I think I I came up with this explanation for it that kind of relied on like there having been like eight iterations of the multiverse, and then I kind of forgot about. I, I think I mentioned it like. A couple of times after that, I think I basically just, I think the last thing I did with it was saying that it was like basically the, the stuff that's used to make cosmic cubes. Um, yeah, sorry, I was shifting my headphones. Uh, it's the stuff that you, that's kind of, cosmic cubes are like made out of that stuff. It's all connected with that. Um, and uh, I think it's all connected with the power primordial as well. Um, but you know, all this stuff is kind of linked up, uh, but yeah, I think, um, I don't know. I guess if, I guess if you're, you're going back, um, yeah, cause after secret wars were in like the eighth multiverse and like before then there'd been a kind of version of ISO eight that was like neutronium that you couldn't really do anything with. But Blue Marvel had been studying it. Uh, and I think I was kind of hinting that, like, uh, Cosmic Cubes had been sort of. I don't know, it's like you, you kind of add, add some electrons or subtract electrons from uranium and make it extra radioactive. It was, it was something along those lines. I guess if you wanted to get very boring on the comics page, you could get right into the kind of the comic science of it, but uh, I feel like this is stuff that, you know, if somebody wants to, like, get into it in a website, I'm pretty sure they could they could put it all together. Um, but, uh, yeah, basically, ISO 8 kind of stopped being... When the Contest of Champions comic went away, um, I still mention it occasionally. I think um, I think I had them studying it in uh, Project uh, Pegasus, and I had Thanos go after some, but it's it's kind of faded into the background now as kind of another another kind of cosmic mineral, and it's kind of connected to the cosmic cube, and it's kind of connected to Power Primordial, and like both of those kind of sound a bit better. So like nobody's really talking about isolate, but it's sort of in the background. Um, and in the meantime, I've kind of really got into this like eight multiverses thing, so that's where I've been going. Cool. So yeah, you know, that's kind of the story of the brief flowering of Isolate as something important. Cool. But it was basically, yeah, just because I was doing Cost of Champions and they wanted to put Isolate into the main Marvel Universe. And I was like, yeah, sure, I'll do that. I see no problem. Cool. Now, on a completely unrelated subject to any of that stuff yeah. before, uh, I have to ask you about Dr. Watt. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because that was... when I was doing my read, because... I've only been sort of a, a casual 2000 AD reader over the years. Like, it's it's mainly just been sort of 
dread and dreading the trades and, you know, occasionally getting an issue here or there. So I know you've done a lot at 2000 AD that I necessarily haven't read, but I, I did read the Dr. Watt story. So uh, why don't you briefly tell people, tell people yeah, about that? Yeah, um, this was a kind of Doctor Who parody in, uh, in Judge Dredd. And that came about because I was I was writing a fair amount of Judge Dredd stories, but I hadn't, hadn't thought of a Doctor Who parody. But I'd, I'd been doing a bit of work with Brandon McCarthy, and um, he came up with this kind of plot, um, this kind of basic plot for a... Um, it's quite convoluted for, like, a sort of Doctor Who story involving, like, nanotechnology and... Um, a kind of TARDIS-like sort of time machine um, thing. And, yeah, we, we kind of, we worked on it together. I kind of, you know, went through the script. And uh, I, I, I'm i trying to remember because it's so long ago, I think. And I might be completely wrong here. I might be completely misremembering. But we might have done it kind of, bit Marvel styly in that uh, I sort of gave him a plot and he did the art and then I put words on it or it might have been full script. I can't entirely remember but there were a lot of in jokes and easter eggs in that about Doctor Who and there was a lot of sort of because at the time Doctor Who was David Tennant and I wasn't a huge fan and you know I, I, I like it it's, Doctor Who is a great actor Fantastic actor, fantastic. One of the great doctors. Um, you know, I wasn't not enjoying myself. Uh, but at the same time, I thought his doctor was very like, um, a bit up himself. And I think they finally, I think when he died, when he regenerated in that final David Tennant story, I think they finally paid that off. And they kind of had pride be like the source of his downfall. Um, but it was it was a little bit having that cake and eating it because then he went on this gigantic apology tour and like oh I'm dying so slowly that I can go and like spend 20 minutes over it and you know my confession is that I was one of the Doctor fans who was like watching that happen and going will you die please will you die yeah I've, it's been I, 15 minutes yeah I was I was in that I was like yeah how many epilogues can you have in an episode, it's like and, you know. And I've had, I've had dog two fans like tell me that they were in tears and they loved that, and it was like, and I've been left thinking, oh my god, am I a monster? Um, <laughs> I think I might be, but I, I don't know. I just really preferred Matt Smith, especially in that first year. I, I really, the eleventh hour was like one of the great Doctor Who introductory episodes. It was just really beautifully kind of. And there was stuff like the proto-Sherlock stuff in there that I was almost sorry that they dropped. And they're kind of... It was just a really good introduction. And I've really enjoyed Peter Capaldi as well, so... Um, yeah, it's it's funny. Yeah. It's funny in the 11th hour when, you know, you have that weird point-of-view thing that they do. Yeah. That, that really they dropped, that. and then, yeah, that they ended up... That then Moffitt, that becomes a Sherlock thing. Yeah, it's it's weird. I can I can only assume that like 
Moffat was working on them both like at the same time or like quite close together. And I don't know. It was maybe it was a test bed. Maybe it was a proof of concept thing. Um, but what did you think it was maybe, going to... maybe it was like I want to do this stuff, and then well, only one of my shows can have this, and Sherlock needs it more. You know, maybe that's it. I don't know. Yeah, I was gonna say it's it's funny that like if you read the Doctor Watt story, like if you squint, you know, he does. Like he sort of looks like Capaldi in a way because he's got sort of like the big white yeah. hair and and kind of you know I mean he's dressed sort of like in a spacesuit but you know it is sort of you know kind of Capaldi yeah. Pertwee kind of kind of looking but you know, I, again I, it's you know everything yeah, comes around I think we were I think we were kind of because I had a junkyard in it I think we were going with a kind of Hartnell thing and um, and I think it was a Portaloo because. That never gets old. That's hilarious. Um, but no, I, I think I feel like Brendan ended up going with a kind of Pertwee thing. Yeah, which I kind of I kind of really enjoyed. But um, yeah, no, it's a good. He is he is quite Capaldi like. I'm like I'm interested in who they're who they're going for next. I hear it's going to be some. There are rumours going around that it's going to be some boring boat, but. Uh, well, certainly yeah. some of the some of the tabloids last week said that it was going to be Chris Marshall. I mean, but, the thing with the but you know then it's is yeah that that's they're the, they're the tabloids. So I yeah, mean, the only they, th- they really just lie. Yeah, the only thing that like the sun. The only thing that you know I took with a, with a pinch of salt was like since the bookie stopped taking odds, I was like, oh, that's usually a sign that somebody knows something. But I guess now they've reopened, so I guess that means that rumor was probably dismissed. But yeah, I'll be, I'll, I'll certainly be curious. Um, did you watch the the season premiere last week yet? Yeah, um, I really liked it. I thought it was um, very solid. There were there were there were moments. Uh, the weird the weird fat speech at the start, like. I was like, oh, that's a bit, that's a bit weird. But it was like, I don't know, I just made up that ground pretty quickly with me. Um, yeah, I just thought overall it was it was really solid and a good opening starter, and uh, you know, nice nice introduction, new companion, um, nice kind of even even like Matt Lucas, you know, I was uh, when I was hearing. You know, while he's going in the crew, I was thinking, oh, this is going to be... But no, he just he slots right in there. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, to tonight's tonight's episode. Yeah, it's it's um, funny. I I really, really, really like Capaldi's Doctor. I thought some of the episodes last season, you know, were hit and miss, but I thought the good episodes were, like, were really good. Certainly the the heaven sent one you know was just oh, heaven sent was like, was like an amazing piece of writing that elevated that entire season that was just one of the greatest um one of the greatest episodes uh and that that very first season of his because i wasn't that blown away by like the first episode but the second episode and i think that was i don't know i think people felt he was very spiky and edgy and like not not friendly and, and old and horrible and he kept saying really nasty things, but I really like that. 
I mean, I like, you know, I like that he's mellowed about. I like that some of those rough edges have been worn off him. But I liked at the start that he was, you know, that we had a really mean, cranky, horrible doctor again. At least yeah. for a little while. I thought that was good. See, as I sort of evolved over the years, that, like, now, you know, I prefer sort of, like, the older stuff. Like, I was always sort of a Pertwee person. And now that we've seen, like, more of the... Hartnell and especially more Trout and stuff, you know, I've gravitated toward that. So I don't necessarily mind a sort of prickly doctor. Yeah, you know, I, I am a, I'm a big fan of Troughton and I was a big fan of Matt Smith because he reminded me of Troughton like quite a lot. And you got to um, write, and you got to write some Matt yeah, Smith. Yeah, I got comics. to write Matt Smith. That was, um, I think there was a toss up between. Um, yeah, I think I think we were in like very early doors on that project, so there was a bit of a toss-up of which doctor. And uh, yeah, I, I was voting eleventh because you know I was really um, I was I was a, a big fan of it. Um, and then I was only on it for a year because um, Marvel came calling, and also it was incredibly difficult to like get that voice. Uh, and I'd do things like I'd sort of, I'd have an iPlayer episode queued up while I was writing. And like literally every five minutes I'd stop and I'd listen to some Matt Smith dialogue. And just to kind of keep that. Um... But yeah, I've really been enjoying what like, um... I, I read a couple of issues recently. Uh, Rob Williams and uh, and Alex, Alex Packnell. And I think it's Alex uh, doing... Uh, I think it's first solo run because um, and they're yeah they're they're really good issues and they're really kind of so I'd I'd recommend people you know um, keep up with that. The the last thing that I wanted to ask you about um, because this podcast covers all kinds of pop culture but the main two things that we talk about are comics and lucha libre and you wrote. A series of novels that involved uh, a luchador. So, where did where Ooh. did th- where did that come from? That's nah, not not a luchador. Because um, by my understanding, a luchador is like a mass Mexican wrestler, right. whereas this was more of a caballero, like uh, a Zorro type figure. Okay. So, um, I think I think luchador would be a completely um I mean I know there are some great like luchador heroes in comics mm-hmm. and in media like they're kind of detective right detective wrestlers so I mean if if people were expecting something like that they'd be very disappointed and literally I mean the guy doesn't even have a full head mask it's like it's a Zora mask okay it just covers the eyes so um so yeah completely completely different I'm afraid but uh, where that came from was um, 2000 AD. The uh, the publishers of 2000 AD, uh, Rebellion, who are also a games company, um, were but they they acquired 2000 AD. They were looking at this point in in history, and this would have been around 2004 or so. Um, they would have been looking to branch out into into other media including novels and they were like and by this time i'd sold a few stories to 2000 ad so they kind of knew that i could write 
and I managed to impress them with the pitch for a novel. This is like my first novel, and I, it was literally just written to pay the rent, to kind of basically to get enough uh, quick cash in my pocket. It was work for hire all the way. It was just straight, straight, one single payment. You know, it, it came out to like a couple of pennies a word. Um, it was like it was it was basically just work for hire stuff. And it was kind of set in this sort of steampunk universe. So I wanted to do stuff with like, um, like, uh, just riff on all these things like kind of Hawkman and, uh, and originally it was going to be set in a fantasy universe with like these sort of winged, winged people versus like non-winged people. And then it turns out I hate fantasy. So I, I kind of switched it to like the steampunk universe, which they needed some people to be writing for. And I had like, you know, steam powered Nazi robots and like, uh, and yeah, and this sort of Zora character in the middle of it all, just kind of like, um, just kind of fighting everybody. And I did this thing to like, um, had the word count out where I, everybody in the book got a little potted biography, like all of the kind of, the soldiers that he was sort of cutting down and like stabbing up got little little biographies and little like personalizing things and that was that was lifted right out of team of dracula where like every time dracula would bite somebody there'd be this little clement caption of like oh his name is such and such and he's so and so years old and tomorrow he's gonna start a job at the factory and now he's not because he's dead um so yeah you know if you like that stuff and i think i think in the new sniper elite game also published by Rebellion. Um, if you zoom in on somebody with like the sniper rifle, you get a little plotted history of like all their hopes and dreams before you before you pull the trigger and blow their head off in like X-ray vision. So I'd, I'd like to think I was um, I was some small inspiration for that. Um, I've, yeah, I, I don't know. I should ask. I know people at the company. I should ask if I was if I inspired them to like go that route, but. Uh, yeah, no, that's um, that's that's certainly book book one of it. And then I and then I wrote two sequels, um, which got progressively madder and madder, and they had superheroes in. Um, but I don't think Lucador's ever came up. So, yeah, in fact, I know almost nothing about wrestling, and I don't like wrestling because of the scripted nature of it. Um, I uh, you know I recognise it as an art form. But uh, I don't, I don't really, can't really get into it. Okay. Um, so yeah, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm the worst, I'm the worst possible person. No, that, that's that's cool. No, that's that's sort of, you know, that's my bad for sort of, because I hadn't got, I was going to, I was going to order it and read it before we did our thing, and I ran out of time because I was no, going. Well, I was, it is, it is, I was doing, it is on Kindle. Yeah, it's, it's cool. Because it sounded cool, and I was just like, because there actually, there actually was, uh, in recent years, like a, a fairly sort of big star in Mexico named El Sombra, who now yeah. lost he, lo- he lost his mask, and he now works for the the WWE. But so I think I'm probably sort of you know made a leap that I didn't nece- I necessarily should have, but like reading the the plot it sounded sort of like 
like bonkers in a good way that it was something that I would probably would have enjoyed reading. I just hadn't gotten around to it, but I wanted well, to, but, I, but I wanted to ask about it. No, you can get you can get the whole thing as a um, in a trilogy. I think you can get it all on Kindle. It's called uh, the El Sombra trilogy. But yeah, it's nothing to do with the wrestler of the same name. We did have we did used to have wrestling in Britain. Um, these days, I think we import it. We we probably make our own. I think you can get. I think you get TNA Impact Wrestling on some channels. Well, and that's kind of you can get UK specific versions of that. Well, but the, we used to have these amazing wrestlers with like names like it was people like Big Daddy, Big Daddy and John Haystacks. Big Daddy was a massive celebrity when I was a kid. Um, yeah, this like old man with a giant belly on him. Yeah, we've we've talked about we've had people on the show um, like. Uh, like Al Kennedy's been on the show, and we've talked because he's he's a fan of Chikara, which is this sort of yeah. Um, it's a Amer- It's very sort of comic. It's a independent company in Philadelphia, but no, I heard that's much more interesting. It's than... it's it's very comic booky. In fact, they've they've done they've done comics over the years, but yeah, like everybody has a very sort of. Uh, we like outlandish character. Like, um, there used to be guys there called the Colony who were a bunch of ants. Like, there was Fire Ant who was hot-headed, and then there was Soldier Ant who wore camouflage, and that kind, you know, that kind of like over-the-top kind of. To me, one of the great things about wrestling is it's. There are so many different ways to do it that if you like it, you can find a subgenre that you'll be interested in. Like, if you sort of like straightforward guys just beating each other up, there's that. There's sort yeah. of that comic book kind of thing, like you said. And then, you know, Lucha Libre is very flamboyant and acrobatic and... That kind of thing. The Japanese versions are a lot more sort of guys really hitting each other and you know dropping them on yeah, their head. If I, that's your kind of thing, I, so I don't know what it is. I think I think I just never got bit by the bug. Um, I think while while I was I don't know while I was at an age where I could have got bit by the wrestling bug, I think I was watching Crystal Maze or something instead. Um, but like. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. That's not really. I don't. I don't have a football team either. Um, I'm. I'm almost the, the quintessential comics nerd. I have no. Uh, I have no interest in rough sports. <laughs> None of that. Um, so. Yeah, but Big Daddy. Yeah, but, um, but what I, was I remember to... the Big Daddy comic with Honest. Yeah, what I was going to say is um, they did. ITV did a pilot last year to bring back World of Sport. Oh man! And they're probably going. They're now partnered with the the impact that you mentioned. So it looks like they're probably going to work together. So there probably will be a, a new ITV show. And the WWE had a tournament at the beginning of the year or the end of December, beginning of January, where it was they like now have their own British title. So they had a bunch of the uh, independent British guys, they had a tournament, and they've signed a bunch of them. So, like, it's apparently, like, the the British scene has had a renaissance probably, like, in the last four or five years. 
Okay. So yeah, well, so it probably that's good. So it probably will be coming back on ITV probably well, sometime that'd, that'd this be year. Interested. That'd, so, that'd be interesting. But what, okay, where do you stand on the gladiators? That never that never did anything for me as cuz like the original version I think one is over here I think was in like the late eighties, early nineties. Yeah. I mean, sort of the, during the boom over here of syndicated television. Um, but that was just sort of too phony. If, cause sort of on the scale of, of like where I like wrestling, like I, I used to perform sort of a more sort of more sport than spectacle. So, well, the thing is, I'd, I'd say that Gladiators was like, if, if maybe not a sport, at least closer to an actual contest. Those were like, um, I mean, that was, you know, that was a real, like, that was a real net they were like climbing. That, that was a real kind of com- backwards conveyor belt they were like running up at an angle to like uh, to hit the button at the end there. I don't think, um, I don't think there was like a designated, I mean, if there was like um, a designated winner and a designated yeah, I don't. Anyway, yeah, I don't. I don't necessarily. That would be a big. Yeah, I don't think it was necessarily a work, but I mean, I mean, over here at least, you know, you it was a lot of sort of average-looking men and women, especially you know in the in the eighties when the the sort of giant people started. But you know, you had the gladiators were all sort of big buff wrestling-looking types with big hair and funny names yeah. like like Zap. And laser and <laughs> oh my god and and, and oh, things we like had some, we had some so uh, yeah they yeah it's funny like it got revived I don't know yeah they, they keep trying to bring it back yeah like about ten years ago they had a version where they brought it back where like Hulk Hogan and Muhammad Ali's daughter were the two hosts but I think that like maybe last I think that was on NBC and I think that maybe like didn't make a season. And I don't know if it's come back. I know, you know, we have, like, we have Ninja Warrior. Like, there's been, like, an American version of Ninja Warrior. Yeah, I mean, that's... Which I guess is sort of like, sort of like Wipeout, you know, which... I guess, I mean, because I see, I see, like, um, the... I see the version of Ninja Warrior that I think... There's a Japanese version, I think there's a UK version, but there's one that's basically just... Here's an obstacle course. Can you get over it? Probably not. But, you know, if you can, you'll be through to the next round. And then the American one, they're, like, divided up into teams, and they've got to, like, do tasks and bond and do all of this stuff. And it that weirds me out. Like this idea that, you know, you don't, you're not just pointing them at a... And I, I don't know, maybe... Um, maybe that's different. Because the thing with Gladiators I always liked was, like, um, A, the Gladiators would were really stupid like just ridiculous which was funny to me and also it's just you know some somebody just turns up and has a go and then goes home again you don't sort of follow their story from week to week yeah i never so watched... it's more more of a game show than a kind of ongoing thing that you've got to put maybe yeah maybe maybe that's it for me maybe i just don't want to put any effort into following following the stories of uh, maybe yeah. That's probably it. 
Yeah, I never. Yeah, I don't know if I've ever watched the American version. I used to watch the Japanese version of Ninja Warrior because I know there was a time, maybe ten or so, ten fifteen years ago, when they 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 started actually importing a lot of Japanese shows around that time. Like I know Ninja, it seemed like Ninja Warrior was on TV here and sort of a thing, like around the time when they first started showing the original Iron Chef here. Yeah, oh, that was so good. And you know, and again, and again, that's something that was great in its original form. And then, you know, they had to make an American version using, you know, like American celebrity yeah. chefs, and they had to sort of well American it up a little. And it wasn't, it wasn't the same. So the, like, I, the British I, version was even worse. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you how they they Britished it up by chopping it into five shows in a week and then putting it on at tea time because what the British like in their game shows apparently is something they can like flop in front of when they just go back from work with a cup of tea and um, so like, all of the spectacle is kind of drained out you've sort of it's just this like like thing before the news um, and yeah it was just like you, you'd kind of follow it through the week Uh and you, you get contestants starting on Monday, and like by Friday, they sort of get to round five. So, and you know, it just drains any momentum out of it. And um, you know, all of the all of the kind of Iron Chefs, instead of like rising out through the floor in special hats, they're just sort of wandering on from stage left. It's just uh, didn't last which, very long. Which is funny because Bake Off has been such a huge hit. Well, Bake Off is. I, it's a different beast. It's like, yeah, but I okay, um, I yeah, I'd say that where where Iron Chef was taking something and kind of squishing it into a shape that would fit our tally, Bake Off is like has grown to fit our tally. Like from from, it's homegrown. It's kind of like, and I, I don't know how's it how's it play overseas. Is it like the lack of any kind of venom between the contestants? Yeah, I think I think here everyone's there to make friends. Well, I think here it's popular among that kind of, and I don't know like how much how large this demographic is anymore, but. Sort of like your polite Anglophile PBS kind of watcher, I think, yeah. are the people that like Bake Off. You know that that you know the same people that like like liked Down Abbey. You know what I mean? They like they like that version of of Britain. You know what I mean? Yeah. That they don't really necessarily understand how multicultural and diverse the country actually well, is the thing is when when we started because we only started watching bake-off quite recently in the past couple of seasons and that was when it was getting really multicultural because apparently um apparently like in the first few seasons it was fairly white in home counties i don't know but um yeah we started when we started watching it, it had a really nice spread of people so um i i don't know i don't know what stage you know, America is at how many seasons of Bake Off have, have been over there. But that's kind of interesting. That's like it's 
it's liked as a Downton Abbey thing. Because, um, yeah, we... I don't know. Well, I think the bloom's come off the rose with Downton Abbey over here. We've sort of... Uh, we've kind of had enough of them. I think... Uh, I think probably... Big... Yeah, I think the people, like, that like it here are largely sort of... And again, you know... I don't necessarily, I like I don't know the numbers per se, but I get the feeling that it's kind of you know, the an older set of people that maybe uh like used to watch like Masterpiece Theater and things like that, that this is sort of like an updated version and like a little more soap opera although I guess up till, yeah. upstairs downstairs was pretty sort of soap opery, just just British in its Soap operiness. I guess so. They're kind of yeah. The, but the, it's the but Britain, it's that the Britain of country houses. Yeah, but it's that kind of anglophile stuff. Like I don't think like people like as far as I know, unless it's like only in certain places. But like you know, Eastenders has never been popular over here. Certainly <laughs> to the way it. Is. But I mean, you know, like if they, when they want British soap uh. opera, they want you know, gentry not and even, cricket and whatever, they don't want... Well, not the actual you know, British soap opera, which is people in, like... Yeah, people in small houses yelling at each other. Um, no, not even not even the Christmas... The famous Christmas episodes. The EastEnders Christmas episode. Where every year they, like, one-up themselves to, like, make something even more horrible happen. Cause I remember I'm one year it was... I remember one year... Okay, one year... The EastEnders Christmas episode was on before Doc, just before Doctor Who. And like, and you know, Doctor Who's, Doctor Who's a big thing in my family. So we're all sort of sitting down, sitting down with the in-laws, um, you know, turning on the tape. Oh, we'll catch the last, la- catch the last five minutes of EastEnders before Doctor Who. Watched a man burn to death. And then it was time for Doctor Who. So it's great. We, you know, um, Emmerdale's even better because it's like EastEnders, but very little happens. Sorry, um, the joys of um, the joys of British soap operas. Well, yeah, it's funny because like I consume a lot of British media, but not necess- But a lot of it is just me listening to people talk about things that I don't necessarily get to see. That you know, I've certainly listened to enough podcasts where I've heard people talk about you know, EastEnders, or talk about Neighbors, or talk about, you know, various TV, like, shows that are popular there, but not necessarily popular enough that they make it over here, although now, I think pretty much, thanks um, to the thanks to the internet, you can pretty yeah, much you can. watch whatever you no, want. You can, you can watch, you can watch Anna, pretty much anything on YouTube. Have they got uh, Pointless in, in the States? That's, that's a big game show over here. I don't, I was going to say, I've watched... I've watched Pointless, but I don't. I don't think it's been. I don't think it's popular over here, and I don't. I can't off the top of my head think if there's been an Americanized version. Yeah, gang, gang shows are a bit different, aren't they? Like over over here, it's more. Well, crap. <laughs> the funny thing that I didn't. I can't. The thing less, that I didn't, spectacle. yeah. The thing that I didn't realize until I learned this, like listening to some podcasts, is that for the longest time, 
British game shows did not really offer good prizes. That, you know, it was like, like token chat or maybe like a couple pounds. You know, whereas naturally American game shows are all about, you know, win thousands and millions. That it wasn't really until Millionaire that, yeah, that was, there that was, was like when the prizes started getting big. Because, you know, I've listened to, and I've listened to people talk about sort of British versions of American game shows or vice versa, where, you know, they say in America you could have won, you know, like a trip to the Caribbean or, you know, $10,000 or whatever. On the commensurate game show in England, you'd win like a TV or, you know, a, yeah. a vase yeah. or, or something like that. Like they they were just bullseye. Bullseye is the one to go for for those. Uh, people will walk away on bullseye with like a hundred quid in their pocket and a stereo. And like, um, but you know, if if they win Bully's big prize, they could walk away with a three wheel car. <laughs> That's like that will fit too. But yeah, um, but I know there have been shows that have gone back and forth fourth but catchphrase was pretty good catchphrase would give you a holiday you could get a holiday out of catchphrase without too much difficulty if you if you got to the if you got to the final prize game it wasn't that generally people ended up walking away with the holiday if they got to the final prize game on catchphrase yeah the other thing it's funny the other thing that doesn't really translate here are like the panel comedy shows like i mean i guess we have politically incorrect but i i i was in the audience for an episode of that once when i was when i was a kid um when i was 19 i was sorry that's apropos of nothing yeah but there's but i think there's no there i don't think there's like an american version of qi or cats or yeah. have i got news or anything like that i mean like we have the daily show and stuff like that but we don't really have something well, like a lot of these things start out on radio 4 as basically and and i think pretty much all of them are just relatively funny people passing the time while you listen and and I think because and I think that would have started. I know Radio Four with things like "I'm sorry, I haven't a clue." And it, I, yeah, it pretty much is just like get get four people in a room together who bounce off each other well, and let them mess about. Yeah, and I guess then... I guess the only thing that translated over here was was that they made an American version of Whose Line. You know, since they took oh, some, yeah. you know, they took some of the Americans that were on the original, you know, and brought it over here. Since they were already, you know, like Proops and Styles and guys like that, you know, have been well, on the the American version. So I guess I mean that America the... has like a lot of improv. Um, so I mean that's because America had like the Second City and things like that. So you know, improv is like something that. Improv comedy is like something that kind of, you know, you guys had. And then just, I feel like it translates better. It was sort of already there. It wasn't something introduced. It was kind of. 
Yeah, I guess because people, you know, we've had Saturday Night Live for 50 years or whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, so, you know, and, and SCTV and shows, and, you know, briefly had Mad TV. So, yeah, there's always been a venue for that. And then, you know, people graduate out of that into movies and TV shows and whatnot. But, yeah, I know, like, when I was in college, the Comedy Central showed Who's Line all the time. And we watched, you know, we were, like, religious devotees of that. So, I'm not surprised, you know, that that became popular. Yeah, no, it was, it was, it was good. The really early seasons of Who's Line, are, they're very dry. They're very light. You've got John Sessions there, like, uh, really just bringing in the chaucer, really kind of like, um, it's, it's a much more kind of highbrow sort of, you know, Almost pseudo intellectual style show in those like first couple of seasons, and then yeah, it, there's uh, that because there's that there's a re- I don't know if it's the first season, but there's like a really really dry the one when Peter Cook's on is like very strange, and there there seems to be yeah. like a weird kind of tension too that you don't necessarily I yeah, and again it's the first season so you don't know if they've necessarily worked out the kinks. Yeah. It's sort of like how. You know, like if you watch the first season of QI or you watch the QI pilot, it's it's there, but it's you can definitely yeah, tell it's like there, it's yeah. it's a machine now, but there they were still trying to figure out how to make everything work right. Yeah, it's um, it's it's an interesting one. I mean, I think with um, say you got you got the panel game shows, but um. Yeah, I guess I guess that is weird that uh, that they don't they don't have things like that. I mean, I don't know. Would there would there be a market for them? Do are people in America very very interested in like watching people just have a chat, essentially I... with like or find an excuse to have a chat? Well, I think the I think the thing is that I think in America certainly what's most successful is not chatting, it's arguing. You know, oh, so okay. you've you know you've got your you know CNN type argument show. You know, the talking head. You know, we have them now across all sorts of genres. You know, like they're very you know, like those kinds of shows are very popular in sports where it's you know two sports writers you know, arguing with each other about people or games or whatnot, you know, and that sort of, that model really evolved on cable during the election, where obviously you, know, you just take one person from this side and one person from that side, and they just argue about, you know, there, there's yeah. no, there's no, it's not debate, it's argument. So those shows are, are unfortunately wildly popular here, but it's, it's funny because, in, like, in the States, there's so many channels now and there's so much fragmentation that on one level, you really don't need to get a great rating anymore because everything's so fragmented. Yeah. And there's so many places. Like, I think, I'm pretty sure, like, BBC America, I think, shows QI now and has for, like, the last couple years. But I thought it was weird that, you know, like, they never, that it took so, I, I think it was, wasn't until, like, like, 
K or L, I think, before they started showing it on BBC America. And I'm like, you know, one, the show is popular in England. And the people watching BBC America would probably watch it, and they would probably know a decent number of people that are the regulars on... I mean, certainly they would know Stephen Fry, I think. If you watch BBC America, yeah. you know who Stephen Fry is. You know, you don't necessarily know who Alan Davies is, but, you know, like, there's enough... To me, anyway, there were enough famous people that circulated in and out of the regular panel on QI that people would know. And then, you know, there was... You know, there are always token Americans every so often that people would know. Yeah. But... Okay. I I don't know. It's it's funny. I haven't watched the show nearly as often since since Fry left, and I don't know if he's, he's left. Yeah, he isn't. Q-I. He he left. I want to say I'm, I'm catching up to this. We we see kind of repeats every so often, and even then, only when it's 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 one of those shows that you kind of it's sort of always on somewhere most nights of the week. And so, you know, if you're sitting down to dinner and there's nothing else on, because oh, we eat dinner in front of the TV because we're savages. But um, if there's nothing else on while you're sitting down for a meal, then, you know, yeah, QI, yeah, why not? Yeah, I Pass think the time. I want to say that the one they're making so now, I think, I think the one that they're filming now for later for this year is I think the second season that Sandy Tosvig has been the host. Oh, Sandy Tosvig. Oh, she's great. Yeah, she, yeah, she, yeah, I want to say Fry left after L or M, one or two of, of those. So, yeah, I mean, pretty, I, I think that, I she's mean. She's pretty much the perfect person to take over from. Yeah, I don't, I mean, certainly, you know, the report, you know, Fry was a big reason the show was popular, but I don't think he's, you know, again, she's a regular. So, I, yeah. you know, I think if you would have you know, taken one of the, like, the three or four people who are, like, you know, like, if they had made Bill Bailey the host, I think that probably, you know, like, it would probably still be a good show, because, you know, he's always good on that show, and he's a regular, people know him, but, uh, yeah, it seems like she, she's, I think, made to be, like, a TV host, you yeah, know what no, I mean, I mean she's, I, she's funny and witty, she's but... She's got a very, she's got quite a kind of Fry-like delivery as well, um... I mean, different, but uh, in that same kind of register of, I don't, I don't know if I'm using register right, but uh, it's it's kind of in in a similar bracket of like TV presenter, right? Uh, but yeah, no, she's um, she's really good. Uh, has anyone replaced Alan Davies? I believe he's still on. Oh, okay. It's fun. Yeah, it's funny that there's there's certain there are some people in England who are on, like, a, a number of different shows, and they're all on, like, different channels, which it seems like here there's a lot more sort of... I guess, like, you know, when you do stuff for... Like, when you're on one network, if you do multiple stuff, you sort of stay on that network. Yeah. Whereas, yeah. as in England, it seems... I guess because people are probably freelancers, that it doesn't matter that, you know... Davies can be on QI, but then he can go off and do the magician murder mystery show whose name escapes me at the moment. But, you know, he can do that, and then I think he has some sort of, like, chat show that I think 
might be yeah, on I, I think my, is on ITV, I think, or maybe it's on Channel Five. I'm not, but but people work on a variety of places, and it's, and it, yeah. it's funny that like that happens in sports too. That there are people that seemingly work for like BBC and Sky, or they work for BBC and BT Sport, and you're like, that wouldn't happen here. It's like if you're if you're on ESPN, you're on ESPN. Period. It's not yeah. like you're going to be on ESPN. And you're also going to be on ABC, and you're also going to be on this other channel. Yeah, I mean, I think I think with people like uh, newsreaders, they tend to stay in one place um, for a while. I'm trying to think if um, I mean, there's that. I, I I don't know. I guess with like, especially the sort of light entertainment side of things. Um, I don't know. I guess the idea of one channel monopolizing it might it might work out that way if like um, you know they end up working them very hard on on particular show. But uh, I think the idea of like a channel monopolizing the career of like a, a comedian or something like that just seems a bit alien. I guess also but too. I, I guess too, though, like if you were sort of at the BBC, you know, quote unquote, then, you know, there are un- there are also enough avenues at the BBC that you could do diverse things on yeah. different. Cha- you know, like you could be on a chat show that's on BBC One, but also have some sort of like documentary that you're fronting that's on BBC Three. And then you could also have a radio show on BBC Four, you know, where you're. It's such a big umbrella that there would be a number of places that you could go underneath that, you well, know, sure. where you and could then, you could do different things. And then you got you've got Channel Four, and that's got. Uh, I don't know, Channel Four is a bit different, although they have. It's interesting, Bake Off, because Bake Off is moving to Channel Four now, and it's getting completely overhauled because. Nobody wanted to leave the BBC. Um, so, but yeah, no, I think the, I think who is it now? It's Noel Fielding and, um, I was going to say, you know, I know, yeah, I was going to say, I know what the one guy went with the show, but Sue Perkins cool, yeah. and so, didn't like, I I think, I think I read that, they're, they might do like their own, ver- like a similar Bake Off type show at the BBC with like, like it's sort of like the people stay and make their show, but the show goes somewhere else with new people. Yeah, the 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 brand name. Yeah. Goes in like the general format. But, no, I could see I could see like um, Melon Sue and Mary Berry kind of doing a sort of baking related competition show thing. Um, I guess it'd have to be like legally distinct, but yeah, I was gonna say you I have mean, to, yeah, you have to change the format just enough, you know, that yeah. that it, there's no IP issue. But you know, I could I could also see Sue Perkins being the next Doctor Who. You know, it's like there's a lot of, and you know, Mel and Sue have been a great presenting duo for like um, literally decades at this point. So um, they could pretty much ride their own ticket. And it's funny to sort of go full circle is like, she's like somebody that I really only know from being on QI. 
Like, right. Like it wasn't until like I sort of, I mean, the great thing about that show was, again, there's enough different people that, like, oh, you like them on QI, and then it's like, oh, they also do this and they do this and they do this. Yeah. You know, it's like like you know, I didn't like I knew Sandy Tosvig because she was on Who's Line, but you know, like Bill Bailey or yeah, Jimmy Carr or even Davis, you know, those were people I didn't know before that show. So, that, you know, now I've seen, and I mean, you know, I, I guess once you've sort of, once you've sort of seen them and you kind of know their faces, you, you start noticing them popping up in like films and stuff. Right. And that used to, right. maybe not Jimmy Carr, but Bill Bailey. Right. But I mean, that was the kind of thing where going back to whose line, it's like, I remember when we started watching sessions, it was like, Oh, he was in, I think the thing at the time that the only thing that we knew of him from then was he was in Henry V. Oh, okay. he, was, he was in he was in Brown as Henry V. You know, it was a very with with Hussein at the start. Um, I guess it would have been a very kind of because those are all all those kind of improv games like that. Um, the main place I've kind of encountered them outside his line was in warm up exercises in theater groups. And I imagine a lot of these, a lot of these kind of games and sort of exercises would have been adapted from, from the theater. So that, that might explain why when it started off, it was so kind of quite dry and quite sort of arch and dramatic and sort of, um, if it had come out of that, uh, that kind of milieu. And it's, well, and it's funny, especially here, not, you know, not being exposed to everything, but, you know, like how the web spins out that, you know, that you have all of those people that were like, you know, that I now know have been at Footlights over the years where it's, you know, it used to be, hey, these people all seem to be in each other's movies, you know, like it was, you know, Brannock and then it was Branna and Thompson and then you have, you know, and then yeah. you, know, you have Peter's friends, and then you have Fry and Laurie in that, and you have Tony Slattery in that. And then it's like, oh, Fry and Laurie went to Oxford, you know, Oxbridge with yeah. them. And then it's like, oh, and then you find Fry and Laurie, and then you find Jeeves and Worcester, you know, and then Slattery is somebody who was in Who's Line. And then, you know, and then, like, once you start learning how comedy works in England... Yeah, you know that, um, you know that you go big, back and learn. Yeah, you go back and it's the like the big Oxbridge thing, right? You know, it's like oh, and then the pushback against that in the eighties, right? And it's like oh, the Pythons were Oxbridge. Yeah, you know, I mean, like as a kid watching Monty Python on TV in the seventies, you know, I don't necessarily know these guys, you know, are Oxbridge and this and that. And you, know, you just know like the show's smart, and it's like oh, of course yeah. the show's smart because these guys are all, you know university educate yeah and then you get the footlights people you know and then you know that expands out to like blackadder where you again have a lot of you know it's like there's fry and laurie again and then you have rowan atkinson and then you know oh look there's rick mayhall in blackadder yeah. and then it's yeah. like oh he was in the young you know it's like british comedy is like such a spider web of interconnectedness you yeah. know, especially when, when you're looking at it from afar, you know, where you don't get things chronologically as they happen. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's like you yeah. discover things. It's like, oh, you know, 
I went and saw, like, we, you know, I was in college and I rented The Tall Guy because it's like, hey, Emma Thompson's yeah, in it. And then it's like, hey, it's there's Rowan Atkinson. Or, you know, it's now it's really weird to go back and look the fact that, like, Rowan Atkinson was in that Sean Connery James Bond movie, which now seems yeah. so, so weird. And you're like, oh, I remember him from, like, five years ago and I had no idea who he was other than he's this British comedian because it's like I'm a teenager in the in the 80s living in like rural America it's like yeah to me British yeah. comedy is either Monty Python or Benny Hill you know it's like that's what we had on TV you know and what was on PBS and then you know as the world sort of expands and like global village and blah 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 and everything yeah you know it's like getting a lot more you know, it's like now I spend more time watching – I watch less American TV and I watch like 1960s ITV spy shows on YouTube or I watch Morecambe and Wise or I watch Dad's Army. You know, well, there's a lot of – there's you know, a lot of good stuff out there. But it's, a lot. You know, it's just – it's funny how – Everything's interconnected. Anyway, I've kept you much longer than no, it's, it's than funny. I asked. It's been, it's been fun. I hope I haven't been been rambling on myself. I've been you know going off in various digressions. No, I have a feeling that most of the, if people are probably listening to my shows, then like most of these divergent tangents are things they will be they will either know or hopefully be entertained by us talking about. And as you know, as we were talking about, you've got Royals and U.S. Avengers. And Ultimates at and Marvel. Then, yeah. Do you have Do you have anything coming out? Coming that, out, coming that out you next can... month. Coming out in May. Uh, we have a Rocket, which is uh, a Rocket Raccoon comic, um, kind of solo book, which is me and Adam Gorham, um, and it's basically a heist in space, kind of space space capers. Uh, so that is. That's going to be very good. That's going to be um, – that's another one that's sort of out in space and sort of less connected to kind of the main Marvel Universe. So people can sort of pick that up without without fear of uh, it getting too crossover heavy immediately. Honestly, I imagine, um, I imagine also probably one of – I mean one of the benefits of the Royals book is I assume that it's probably – Secret Empire free mostly, I would imagine. So. Um, apart from issue two. Okay. Issue two glanced off at an angle because, That's we, right, because we had the Chitauri in there. Well, I was going to say I was. I was going to say I mean I assume people have read stuff from this week already, but yeah, like the the. Uh, yeah. Well, um, I mean the the Chitauri stuff was in the solicits, so you know. Yeah, I, I was thinking about sort of the the Earth Defense Shield or whatever it's being called. Well, we don't. I mean, we don't. You know, we don't. Need to spoil that for the okay. Uh, okay. Uh, for the purposes of discussion, but okay. um, the yeah no that was basically I mean we didn't we didn't have to do that uh, we didn't make it like a tie-in because it's not um, we didn't put the banner on the top or like do any of that um, but I wanted I kind of wanted to like at least acknowledge that it was happening um, one because of the uh, Secret Warriors the kind of the sibling book is uh, obviously getting very deep into that that whole thing. And the other reason was that I always really used to like it when uh, something big would happen in one comic and it'd be in other comics. It's like, you know, like when, and the big one here is the, the Casket of Ancient Winters in Thor. 
when Thora like opens up the Cascade of Ancient Winters and like winter comes all over the world. And then in all the all the other comics, like that um that month, you'd have like a couple of panels of it snowing in June. This is weird. And then it'd stop happening, you know, and people would just get back about their lives. And, and you know, they, they probably didn't have to do that. Um I I don't think every book did it, but they it's it's nice it sort of shows that this is all sort of happening in the same in the same place. And so it was a little it was a little bit of that. And also I really wanted to have a big space battle in uh in issue two and that was some low hanging fruits, so you know. It wasn't entirely uh for the shared universe. Oh, sorry, that's that's the phone guy. Um well, I'll say then this is probably a good yeah. Yeah, we should wrap this, it up. This is a good time for people, and of course, um, they can get, you know, all of your back yeah. matter material in trade, uh, in print, or at Comixology. Um, we never really even got a chance to talk about Loki. Um, yeah. So well, maybe, so maybe if uh, if you come back at some point, we'll get a chance to yeah, talk about I'll that. Yeah, I'll come back at some point and we can talk Loki. But um, yeah, no, for now, for now, uh, I guess we gotta we gotta wrap it up there. Right. So uh, thanks again, Al, for all of your time, and we will talk to everybody next time.